Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan. And today I'm just delighted to be joined by Andrew Jones, somebody I've known for a long time. He is the he's the executive director of the Climate Interactive. He's based in Asheville, North Carolina. And we're going to be talking about climate modeling and uh, how modeling is really an important step towards mitigating carbon emissions and making the right policy choices and making the right personal choices to drive down emissions. So again, delighted to have Andrew on the show today. Hey, Drew, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? All right. Thanks, Ted. Happy to be here. So good to see you after all these years. Yeah. How many years do you think it's been since we've seen each other? It has been 30 years since we've worked together. I think you were at my wedding 27 years ago. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's just incredible. Anyway, it's so, so good to see you. And and right now you're sitting in, in Asheville. You're, you're, you live Asheville, and work in Asheville, North Carolina. Settled in Asheville, North Carolina. Run my nonprofit, Climate Interactive, out of here. 12 of us. But we're spread really around the world. Uh, Are the you? whole team. Yeah. Yeah. And what's uh, what's hot today? What's or this week? What are you working on? Uh, this week, really thinking, boy, I've just been thinking about what would be the impact of some new technologies that people are imagining. Hydrogen, would mm. that help expand yeah. renewables in the world? Yeah. Uh, ocean removal of carbon. Can we remove methane from the atmosphere? Someone was asking us. Could we mm. add that to the model? Carbon yeah. capture and storage, or just keep the coal, oil, and gas in the ground is another set of questions. Yeah, yeah. I've already introduced you as as uh, you know the founder and executive director of Climate Interactive, and that you've built this model in collaboration with MIT, your colleagues at MIT, so that you're able to test all of these scenarios. But before we get before we get too deep into that, let's back up and sort of figure out how you got to where you were. Just quickly, born and raised where? Born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, yeah. and then got to be a student of Dana Meadows at Dartmouth College. And yeah. she introduced me to the world of both systems thinking and global models as ways for citizens and top decision makers to test their thinking about what it's really going to take to create a sustainable world. And she got me yeah. an interview with Amory and Hunter that- Lovins out at Rocky Mountain yeah. Institute and that's yeah. when I met you when I was an intern there in 1990. Yeah. And inversely, I don't know if you realize this, but I I went back for several years and lectured at Dartmouth to Dana's class about what we really? were about what we were doing at the institute, and it was great. I, and, and I never caught that. Yeah, great. she. Well, we must have we must have uh, we must have crossed paths there. But did you did you then go to MIT or did you go to you went to RMI right after undergraduate and you were correct? Well, you were studying what were you studying as an undergrad so I, environmental? After working at Rocky Mountain Institute, I went back to MIT to study yeah. system dynamics modeling. Yeah. The creation at the business school, the creation of policymaker, business leader oriented simulations. Yeah, and, and that was with John Sturman, right? That was with John Sturman, who is one of the builders of our simulator En-ROADS and our yeah. collaborator, who was actually Dana Meadows' first student and protege oh. at Dartmouth as well. Yeah, and John and John came, I don't know whether you were at RMI at the time or whether this was beforehand, but he came to RMI and, and spoke to us about his models and how these models, and didn't he create some models with, um, 
Was it People's People's Express or um, People's Express Air? The yeah, the and, and uh, just and just showed and, and and taught the CEO how through or the former CEO because they went bankrupt, but taught that former CEO how he could have used modeling <laughs> to better manage a, something as complex as an airline, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. from there, we said, well, we ought to teach top decision makers around the world how to manage something as complex as the global economic biogeochemical system of the climate and equity. So it's that same principle that came out of the business school. Can yeah. we use fast running simulators to improve our understanding, not to give answers, but to improve thinking, to improve what we call mental models? Yeah, yeah. And then I was doing, as I said, I was doing a little poking around on you and it, it sounds like the models that be, were being run at MIT sort of late 80s, early 90s, were just huge computer files. And every time you wanted to run a simulation, it would take maybe hours, if not days even to run. There was some guy that you mentioned in one of your interviews that, that came along and, and figured out how to really make that, that model, make that software sing and go really move really fast. Exactly. And really, it's just a different class of models. Today, there's still these huge general circulation models and integrated assessment models that are for research purposes. And they write papers about pathways to climate success. And we need those models. We yeah. come out of the business school where uh, Tom Fideman was this researcher there with John, figured out how to make that model in a different form run in less than a second. So we could put it in front of, well, President Obama, which John Holdren, the White House science advisor, did back in 2009 for the Copenhagen climate negotiations. And it could run very quickly and answer what if questions accurately and in the time frame that a decision maker needs it. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. And um, I, I guess you you said at one point that John Sturman was quoted as, as saying, you know, showing people research just, just doesn't work. I, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, yeah. The full version is research shows that showing people research doesn't work. Yeah. And that's why we don't just write papers and give PDFs. Uh, we let people think for themselves and change their mind for themselves, which is really how it has to happen at the deep levels that we want to change thinking on climate and sustainability. Yeah. So, and, and that's, that's your guiding philosophy or your guiding principle is that you have to let people chart their own course, pump in their, you know, punch in their own assumptions, see what the, see what the numbers, see what the math actually delivers based on their own views. Right. Exactly. And really do it also in the context of some open-mindedness like that, that games help with. So we'll set it up as a game. I, yep. you know, we met with, 128 members of Congress before the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. And when we did it, we would say, okay, we're going to try to get this number, this baseline in temperature in 2100 below two degrees instead of 3.3 degrees, way too high. Get it below two, try to get it to 1.5. It's a game. Or when we're with students, and actually we do this even with other decision makers, we make it a role play game where I play the role of Secretary General of the United Nations and say, okay, you are going to play Greta, Greta Thunberg, the climate activist. You're someone else in the room, uh, Rex Tillerson, the head of former head of Exxon, and Elon Musk and Sheikh Hasina, the prime minister of Bangladesh is there, eight different stakeholders, and they negotiate 
they make speeches, they get in disagreements and use the simulator to test the effect of their policies. So playful, sometimes game-based uh, ways to get people to really change their mind. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And, and then you're projecting this up on a screen in front of them all so that exactly. in exactly. real time, if somebody says, no, change that assumption from X number of dollars per ton of carbon to this, and you can do that and, and end up with a result really that's quickly. Right. And you know, anyone who's listening to this, it's called En-ROADS. You could go just type in En-ROADS. It's freely available in 20 languages. So just go. And, and that's N like E-N, right? En-ROADS. like energy. And, okay, En-ROADS. And what was C-ROADS? Because there was also that. Yeah, C-ROADS is the model. It still is out there. You can go find it. And it was designed to help with the negotiations that led up to the Paris Agreement. And it's focused on countries. How much would the United States need to reduce emissions and India and China and EU and others? Hmm. How much do, internationally needs to happen? Oh, how fascinating. How, how great. And I think I, I read somewhere that you've been to 15 COPs or 16 COPs. Is that right? That's right. That's right. I'm going in three weeks to Dubai to go help with that process. And, and will, your, will your software be used uh, in, in yeah. workshops and surrounding workshops? Or how does, that, how does that play out? Yes. And right now we've given it away so people can just use it on their own. But some of the very important things that we'll be analyzing there uh, one of them is the role of methane. We're doing some events on the role of cutting a methane from agriculture, waste, and energy. But a big one is how much carbon capture and storage yeah. can handle in the needed fossil fuel um, reduction. There's a lot of talk about phasing out fossil fuels. Some yep. people are saying, well, phase out unabated fossil fuels because maybe we can capture some of the emissions we're going to calculate how much that is. And Do we have any, any, early, any early insights on that, Drew? <laughs> Not very much. <laughs> that's a, that's a big question. The real hard right? work is just to figure out ways to not burn coal, oil, and gas. Yeah, that's yeah. the top priority. Yeah, I liked your description of the big five. And, and I was as I was looking at your materials and thinking about the software that you're providing and how great it is, uh, and just truly impressed. I uh, think you've gone out to 163 countries and you've had 300,000 users, or maybe it's quite a few more than that at this point. But I was thinking, well, does that just mean that you're completely agnostic um, and that you're just going to let anybody put, punch in their own assumptions? Or And I just sort, sort of felt like shaking you and saying, Drew, what would you do you know, yeah. based on your knowledge? And you came up with this big five, which I think is, uh, is very useful. Yeah, and the big five really focus on what are the priorities the reality is we need to do so many things in so many sectors yeah. and most anything that keeps us from putting carbon in the atmosphere or helps us pull some out is helpful. And yet we do talk about priorities in yeah. this next 10 or 15 years. The top five priorities are things that will keep us from burning coal, oil and gas. It will keep us reduce methane and protect forests to reduce deforestation. And yep. there are many other things, but those are the priorities. And that is where we do step into the world of advocacy for what really needs to happen. And again, right. one reason I don't say here is the pathway. We've been yep. doing that for 25 years, 40 years. We've been saying, here's the pathway. And it doesn't change thinking. And John so, Sturmer would say, don't, yeah, just don't even bother showing that, right? Just show people how to find their own pathway. Discover 
and their own on path. their own terms yeah. understand and improve their own thinking. Yeah. I love the story of um, former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and I guess he wasn't Speaker of the House when he when he uh, when he made this proclamation. But he he suggested that we should plant what a trillion trees to address right. climate change, right? That's and right. and that all sounded good to everybody, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's it's a big no. That's a lot of trees. Um, but you modeled it, and, and what did, did you find? We did, and we love trees, and we should plant trees for many reasons. But it isn't a serious climate solution. Because you don't plant a trillion trees, you plant a trillion seedlings. And those seedlings take 20, 30, 40 years to get big enough to remove significant carbon from the atmosphere through photosynthesis to make much of a difference. So they will help. Trees will help out in the 2040s and 2050s, which isn't the priority time horizon for addressing the growing pollution that we put in the atmosphere. So it just is too little, too late. And a trillion right. trees won't happen because it is the land of over 50 contiguous United States, which yeah. there really won't be that kind of land. If we did find the land, we would probably be pushing people off of it, people yeah. who have already dealt with inequities and uh, other pressures on their own land. So it uh, it isn't a serious climate solution. That is, that's to say people should plant trees, but let's not count on it and distract us at all from the big five, coal, oil, gas, methane, deforestation. Yeah. Right. Well, a couple of points. I mean, you made, you made the point, I just want to stress it, that it would take an, a land area the size of the United States, or I think one and a half India, as you, you had said in another, exactly. in another one of your presentations. Um, but also that what, what that would only result in 6% of, of the reduction that's that's actually needed by 2050 or something? Even if we did it, it would only yeah. avoid, it would only remove 6% of what needs to be uh, avoided by 2050. So it, an unrealistic amount of land would only do 6%. Uh, it just doesn't. Yeah. So you have a proclama proclamation by a, a politician, and it doesn't matter what side it is, you're able to model it and to, to, to bring some reality to it. I'm just trying to think about the nuts and the bolts. Do you do you just open up end roads and go in there and somewhere you put there's a field that says tree planting and you punch <laughs> in a you punch in a trillion and then you, then you hit enter it, and, and it's, it's pretty <laughs> close to that Ted actually yes. Uh in fact, we even make it so simple that there isn't uh, a number you have to type in. You can just move the slider to the maximum and you get yeah. about a trillion. Uh we we try to make it as simple as possible. You know, this is used in, in eighth grade classes. It's in museums yeah. in Vienna and MIT Museum. It's got to be ready for any curious citizen to just walk up and use it easily. Now, did did the, did Kevin McCarthy ever get the results of your analysis? Or? <laughs> Not that I know of. Not that Not you know of. of. Okay, we'll yeah. let we'll let we'll let that be. Um, talk about the IRA story. So it sounds like. Um, before the Inflation Reduction Act went into uh, was passed, that there was lots of discussion in Congress, and right. you and your colleagues went down, and it sounds like you did a briefing for 120 odd congressmen, right? Yeah, this this is an effort that really grew in, in partnership with our partners, our, our our collaborators at MIT Sloan's Sustainability Initiative. They started something called the Climate Pathways Project, of which we're a part, mm -hmm. and one by one, 
three by three, 18 by 18, we got uh, meetings with members of the Senate and Congress uh, to engage them on their thinking and to see what it would really take in a global model. And then they could think about what needed to happen in the United States. And what was interesting were, were two things. First is dispensing with some of the low priority actions like planting trees, where it's very uh, attractive to think that fusion, say the invention of a new energy source like fusion yeah. or thorium fission could, or carbon capture and storage could bail us out of addressing the big five. So we spent a lot of time showing the delayed or smaller impact of some lower priority actions, but then also showing possibility and hope that if we put together a very broad kind of, as they called it, all of government kind of approach, it is possible to really bend the curve on emissions. Something that there are moments when people, even top leaders, uh, can lose hope. And so it's directing people towards high leverage actions, building hope and dispensing with the lower priority actions. And that's that's some of the things that contributed to what we yeah. landed with with the IRA. That's great. Well, congratulations to all these successes. That, that when, you, when you met with these representatives, how much time do you need with that? I, mean, I always think of the elevator pitch. You know, you're, you're in an elevator, you got 30 seconds, you got 15 minutes with uh, you know, some yeah. of these people, you got half an hour. I mean, how much time do you need to be able to sort of significantly show enough of your modeling to get yeah. them fired up and, and sort of on board? Yeah. We did pretty well in asking for 20 and getting 45 and occasionally asking for 45 and getting an hour and a half just because it's pretty compelling. Lines yeah. move. You can see maps of impacts. People yeah. do stick around. Uh, we can land that Trillion Trees Insight in about seven minutes, but that's just a little nugget. 45 minutes worked pretty well and it allowed for yeah. enough of the appropriate conversation with each other. This yeah. isn't about listening to me and playing with the model. It's about talking with your colleagues with a grounding in the best available science. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I think I read also on your website that you've just been at, is it Catawba College in New York? Um, That's right. Running it just in the past week or so, right? Uh, running a workshop. It sounds That's right. Like. And uh, in comes uh, Andrew Jones, Climate Change Authority. To, to run a workshop for the um, the campus community, as well as it sounds like the, the surrounding community. Was that more like a, a, a longer session or, or even a weekend session? Or what was that? How did that? Yeah, how did that work? this is actually in Salisbury, North Carolina oh. and uh, Catawba College in the community. And uh, there we did a, a short version of the game where I handed a piece of paper and said, again, you're Greta Thunberg, you're Rex Tillerson. And they interacted that way. And then the evening for uh, community members, uh, I think they gave me an hour and 15 minutes to really dig into all the things that people want to ask about, because the curiosities are, are deep. And frankly, back to the hope question with everybody, like the, the, we, we're talking about technologies and policies and changes in behavior. But the real conversation, Ted, is you is really about possibility, not giving up and not thinking that it's going to be magically solved. There's mm. a good bit of 
resignation in the world right now after the hottest summer in 400,000 years. It's, it's tough out there. And so a lot of what I'm doing is keeping people focused on a pathway that says we can make things better. And I'll just acknowledge since the 80s, you've been writing a newsletter. Its <laughs> overall message that I've picked up as one of your readers is we can do this. Here's what it looks like. Here's some good news of somebody else doing this. Here could be your role. Learn about possibilities. And that's yeah. what really I think we're we need to get to with mm. any engagement on the topic of climate inequity. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's not it's not just a scientific problem, is it? it's not a technological problem at the root of it. It's gets right down to the core of who we it are. It really does. And we mentioned yeah. before you visiting Dana Meadows. Now, this is the lesson that I learned from her as a student and that she wrote about for many years as a system dynamics model or a very technical person uh, with a PhD, just absolutely scientifically brilliant. But ask her what is most important. And it would be more about bringing our whole selves hmm. to setting out a vision for the world we want to see, being honest about the world that is seeing that gap and yeah. doing all that we can do to close it without losing hope because the, the gap is so wide. Yeah. The gap is so wide for so many people that we care about and around the world, including ourselves. Yeah, that's really well put. And I don't know if you realize this. We have a, we have a trademark term at EcoMotion called the power of the increment. The which, power of the increment. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, it's just the inverse of the tragedy of the commons. And, you know, you had Garrett Hardin writing about the tragedy right. of the commons, and basically nobody cares and uh, about, you know, the commons uh, in the air. And, the, and the, originally, the commons were people were putting their livestock out to graze. And they, you know, obviously uh, exceeded the, the carrying capacity and, and there was no, no mechanism for, for resolving that. But the power of the increment is my very optimistic view that why do people recycle? It's, it, you know, there's very little economic value. Uh, it's a very indirect effect, uh, but there's something about being a participant, right? And taking a step, a small step. And, you know, a small step leads to another small step. And yeah. when you look around, and we even have a theme song, uh, you can't move a mountain alone. That's the chorus is you can't move a mountain alone. But if each of us carries a stone, you yeah. turn back and you look and you can see that the mountain, that the mountain's been moved. So the power, yeah, all, of, the the power of the increment and just, and just the importance of, of, of hope, I guess, and not losing, not losing faith that we'll be okay moving forward. Is 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 I, I'm I'm with you on that. I wanted yeah, to just ask you before we leave it, um, what was the outcome of this workshop? Were you pleased with it? <laughs> uh, when people come up and say that they feel a sense of possibility, I feel good, and I know that this contribution is effective. So that's yeah. what happened in Kataba, and uh, well, that's really it's really, really satisfying when you see that kind of impact, particularly. Yeah with something as nerdy as climate models, you know, you have people getting excited about climate yeah. models and not just wringing their hands. Well, I, I, I must say, I'm sure it's got a lot to do with you too. And you're a, you're a dynamic speaker and engaging character, but just before we leave Catawba, uh, you're available and, and climate interactive is available to go to other universities, other cities, counties, and do this kind of yeah, thing. We, we have trained now over 700 what we call climate ambassadors, En-ROADS climate ambassadors, who have gone through a course to learn how to run the workshop that I ran in Catawba 
and that I've been talking about. And uh, they're on our website, climateinteractive.org. Go to ambassadors and you can find one. And they're in 120 countries working in those 20 languages. And they are, many of them, interested in going and running a session for community groups or government business, wherever uh, people are. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, in, in a couple of um, the interviews that I saw, you talked about diet. And yeah. is that is that something that um, that you think is sort of discarded or, or overlooked, I guess, uh, in, in the discussion about climate? Um, I th So changes in diet and overall agriculture are really important and basic and are essential to getting us to where we really need to go. And if anything, the advocates for the climate impact of changing diets, in my experience, many of them exaggerate how huge a solution it is relative mm. to some of the other things that need to happen, particularly the big five. Uh, and it's so powerful. Like the reason it's so effective is that there are four system-wide impacts to changing diets. First, if we don't have as much, eat as much animal products, then we don't have to grow as much crops to feed the animals, less deforestation, less emissions of carbon. If we don't chop down those trees to make the crops land, then uh, those trees get older and they remove carbon from the atmosphere. If we don't have as much cattle, enteric fermentation, that is the burping and farting from cows goes down, we have less methane and less fertilizer, less nitrous oxide. Four big impacts, it's important. And smaller than not burning coal, oil and gas. Right, you know, right. Like, that, is it you know, is it number six? Is it number six in the big five? Is well, it, is in, in the big five, two of them are 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 related. Are cutting deforestation, a powerful yeah. way to stop deforestation is by changing diets. Yeah, a powerful way to cut methane. About a third of methane emissions is yeah. in cattle. Not as much meat as dairy, but and that it it those are powerful ways to get two of the big five. Right, right. And yeah, so you're uh, you know. Right. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, so in the model, I, I, drilling right back down to the nuts and bolts of the model, do you, do you just have sort of a line item in there that says, you know, number of yeah. vegetarians or no, it's <laughs> percentage percent of, of food from animals, percent of food from animals. It's heading up to about 30% around the world. And now you can say, what if it only goes to 25% or down right. to 19? And it's yeah. a little bit about what are those scenarios look like? And then, then you get to see what is the impact on those four different pathways to temperature right right oh that's really cool yeah true when you i when you um when you think back we're, we've got another couple minutes here but yeah. so i want to make sure to get a couple more questions in but when you think back on your career and obviously you're 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 just getting started haha <laughs> you're you're warmed up you're 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 got all the cylinders are fired up using a term from the in, internal combustion engine world yeah. but um what do you what when you look back on the past what 30 40 years or 35 years what what do you think are your biggest accomplishments? I mean, you talked about briefing Obama. You've been briefing Congress people. You worked with individuals and communities that have sort of touched your 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 heartstrings. So what 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 would you say are your the greatest accomplishments? I should also yeah. say you've won a bunch of awards, including that fantastic award at Dartmouth that I've heard about before. Oh, um, thanks. But but what how how about you? What do you, when you reflect? What are you what are you most proud of? Thank you for asking that. I think. 
the legacy that I hope really sticks is uh, helping people in the world use these analytic tools, really just mathematical equations built into software in deeply profound ways that touch on spirit and touch on deep insights that really change policy. So it's those two big areas like that mathematical models, not just as analysis and engineering, but tools for the heart and spirit and then to blow people's minds. Yeah. Oh, very great. And last question. Uh, how do you keep balance in your life? You're, you're racing about, you've got a staff, you've all the responsibility of family, staff, yeah. work life. But how do you, what, what advice do you have for the rest of us, Mr. Jones? <laughs> uh, I've worked in a habit of exercising every morning and that really helps me a lot. And just know that I, that I'm going to build that into my life, take care of my body and uh, listen to my partner and do what she says. <laughs> he is wise about going into the woods on the weekend and yeah. talking about other things. And so some yeah. humility that I really know how to live my life uh, and respect for a wise person who cares about me. Very well put. How wonderful. <laughs> how wonderful. Hey, listen, thanks so much for your time uh, today. And again, uh, congratulations on on all that you've accomplished, and we'll look forward to a lot. Uh, we'll look forward to a lot more going forward. Thank you, Ted, and thank you for all your leadership over your forty years in this space. Uh, you've made a lot happen. I I wish I had time to ask you the same question back. <laughs> we'll do it over a beer. Thanks again, Drew. All right, thank you. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.